Uh, but yeah, good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. My name is Mitch. Um, I'm filling in for Jeff, as Marie Christine said, uh, who's down in Portugal at the pastor's conference. Uh, but I'm glad to be here this morning. The last time that I spoke here was about four years ago, and I talked about Ephesians 1, and uh, today we're going to talk about Ephesians 2. Um, so if we kind of continue on this, uh, this plan here of every four years, we'll finish Ephesians in, in 20 years. So, yeah. But no, uh, I do want to talk to you today about Ephesians 2 and then connect it with a story from uh, recent events in Turkey and Syria. Uh, my family and I are, are church planners uh, in the area here. We've served overseas for 10 years in places like Western China, Kazakhstan, and now Germany. Uh, we've also spent time in uh, Thailand, Tajikistan, and Turkey, but our primary focus uh, now is serving the Turkish-speaking world, and you may be asking yourself, why would you be doing that here in Germany? But uh, believe it or not, there are, in this area, this region, uh, this state of North Rhine-Westphalia, there's over a million plus Turkish speakers. Um, you probably have Turkish neighbors, Turkish co-workers, uh, you probably interact with them on a daily basis. Um, they're everywhere, and a very large majority of them are either Muslims, atheists, or or deists, but praise the Lord, there is a small number of Turkish-speaking believers uh, in this area. Um, there's a Turkish-speaking church that I attend on Sundays at 3, um, and there's also a new Turkish-speaking church in Gelsenkirchen, but there's still lots of work to be done. Uh, so this morning, I want to reflect on these verses that we're going to read in Ephesians 2 uh, with an intended purpose in mind. Uh, we're going to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and what he's done in our lives. But at the same time, I want to ask you to take these truths that we're going to read today and share them with your lost neighbors, your lost friends, your lost family, your lost co-workers, because we're going to see that there's a lost and dying world out there that's on the brink of entering into eternity, uh, separated from their creator. And we are the only ones that have this message of hope that can spare them from this eternal separation. And I know none of us here today would want our family or our friends to be eternally separated from God and in hell. But if we don't share the gospel, if we don't share the good news of the Bible, are we not acting as if we're okay with them going to hell? I'll ask it another way. If we don't open our mouths and tell them about Jesus and what he's done for us, are we not acting as if it's okay with them spending eternity separated from God? And let me clarify one thing. I know that it's not our job to save people. We don't have the ability to transform hearts from stone to flesh. We don't have the power to open eyes. We don't have the, the power to change people's minds. But our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be um, pro proclaimers of the gospel. And God, in his word, has called us to do that. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. So let's leave this place and share the truths of Ephesians 2. So, on, let's see here, how do we use this thing? On Sunday morning, February 5th of this year, Pastor Hakan, there we go, and his wife woke up and prepared breakfast as any other Sunday morning, much like we did this morning. They sat down with their son, Yoel, in that picture before heading to church to lead the Sunday service at Iskenderun Uyanish Kilisesi, or Iskenderun Revival Church in eastern Turkey. As they went to church, Pastor Hakan was probably thinking over the message for that Sunday, which was titled, The Resurrection from the Dead. 
uh, taken from Philippians 3. These verses went through his mind as they were driving down there. These verses are, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As they arrived at church, they greeted those that were there. They probably prepared themselves for the service. And then once it began, they sang Turkish songs, much like we did, but in English this morning. They praised the Lord for who he is. And then Pastor Hakan stepped up, shared the message for 30 minutes. They exhorted, or he exhorted the people of God to live in light of the gospel so that they may attain the resurrection from the dead. He reminded them of the basic principles of the gospel and that um, any who live in a life contrary to the gospel would be separated from him. Then he sat down, he went home and carried on with his Sunday activities until it was time to go to bed. And he and his wife went to bed and went to sleep. And unfortunately, that night would be the last night that Pastor Hakan and his wife ever went to sleep. A little after 4 a.m. on that Monday morning, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit southeastern Turkey and northern Syria. Uh, Pastor Khan, like I said, lived in eastern Turkey there. And this affected hundreds of thousands of other people who were sleeping soundly in their bed. As the shaking started, as buildings began to collapse, there was very little time to wake up and escape. If they were fortunate enough to get out in time, they were greeted with freezing temperatures and snowy conditions and the unknown whereabouts of their family and friends. They also had the reality of buildings continuing to collapse all around them. And I want to show you a video in a second uh, to help you imagine this situation. The video is going to last for about 90 seconds, which is the length that this unbelievable shaking occurred there in Turkey and Syria. As you watch it, imagine being sound asleep. Imagine being woken up to this uh, shaking all around you. You're confused. You're sleepy. Is it a nightmare? What do you do? Do you run out? Uh, of the building immediately? Do you grab your kids? Uh, do you ha even have enough time to think about what to do? It would be absolute chaos, right? So let's watch this video.
collapsing, crashing to the ground, yet very few people, as you saw out on the street there, none, or very, very few people were able to get out of uh, the buildings alive. And then nine hours later, after families and friends are coming to grips with the reality of the devastation of their neighborhoods, their towns, their cities, another huge earthquake hit. This one with a magnitude of 7.5. And it continued to destroy buildings, further hindering the relief efforts. And throughout the day, aftershocks were felt uh, in the areas they removed rubble and searched for lost loved ones under the mounds of debris. These earthquakes in Turkey and Syria have claimed the lives of over 53,000 people, with two of them being Pastor Hakan and his wife. Their nine-year-old son, Yoel, was thankfully able to escape the building and survive, but he now faces the reality of a life without his mom or dad. And the church there now faces the reality of a future without its pastor. So it goes without saying that these earthquakes cause massive damage and loss of life. How do you begin to rebuild when your city's in ruins? How do you wake up uh, in the morning without your mom or dad or without your husband or wife, without your, your neighbor or your friend? The rebuilding process is going to take years, if not decades, but the pain will last a lifetime. Hope for these people seems to be something that is unattainable right now. And the saddest part for me is that nearly all of these people, all of these 53,000 people who died, uh, were either uh, Muslim, atheists, or deists. They've entered into eternity apart from their, their maker. And we can't be okay with that. We can't act like, like that's normal, right? We have to do something about it. So we're going to read these verses today and, and uh, see what we can do to impact this great lostness in our world. We're going to be reading today from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You can see it up there. Good. All right, Ephesians 2. These are, these are verses you probably know, and I just want to remind you of things today. I don't have anything really new for you. just want to remind you. So as you turn there, or look on the screen. We're going to start reading Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So those are our verses this morning. Oops, sorry, here we go. We have five, five quick points that I want to share with you this morning. You were dead. You are alive. You are greatly loved by God. God is at work in your past, present, and future. And you are saved for a purpose. I would imagine some of you here today are going to be a little annoyed with me that I didn't carry on the pattern there with those you are, but I'm sorry with number four there. Uh, but our first point today, you were, you were dead. I'm just going to reread these first three verses. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Right at the start of these verses, we see the human condition. We see that we were dead, plain and simple dead, but what does that actually mean? Some think that it means that we are completely dead or unable to do anything, much like a, a corpse, right? While that is what one would naturally think when they hear this word dead, I believe that it has a, a different interpretation. Uh, I believe that it's talking about a spiritual or theological deadness. And why do I believe this? First, if we were completely dead, then we wouldn't be here, right? Now, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be breathing, wouldn't be moving, we wouldn't be talking. Uh, we'd be in the ground, but we're here. We have a mind, we have a body, we have a brain. We can think, we can act. Um, so it has to be something more to this word dead there. Second, the Bible elaborates through uh, these different pictures throughout the Bible um, that you can see on the screen there, the condition of man. Second Corinthians 4 says that we were blind. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Romans 6 says that we were slaves to sin, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Mark 2 likened sinners to being sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Colossians 1 says we are under the domain of darkness. Luke 15 says we are lost. And in the verses we read today, Ephesians 2 says that we were children of wrath. So all of these verses show us that we can be physically alive, physically present, but uh, spiritually dead. And that is what we, that's what we were, right? It shows us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Our trespasses and sins have killed us spiritually. This word trespasses has a meaning that one has uh, crossed the line, has uh, broken um, or challenged the boundaries of God or been rebellious. In, in every family, there is a rebel, one that always has to test the limits, right, of what their parents would allow. Maybe you were that Maybe you were that child, uh, but we have all crossed the line, right? Next, we see that we were dead in our sin. Um, sin, at its root, means to miss the mark. Uh, we don't hold up to the standards of God. You can think of it as a, as a dartboard, and every time we throw a dart at it, we always miss the mark. We miss the bullseye, right? A favorite theologian of mine, John Stott, says this. He says, before God... For standing before God, we're both rebels and failures. So, yeah, how do you like that identity? I'm a rebel, I'm a failure, you're a rebel, you're a failure. But the good news is that our identity doesn't define us today. It's who we were, right? Uh, we may fail sometimes, we may rebel sometimes, but it's not our identity, it's not who we are today. And in verse 3, we can see this. It says that you and I once walked or once lived in these ways, which would indicate that we are no longer identified by them. We no longer follow Satan, the, 
the prince of the power of the air. We no longer carry out the desires of the flesh. We no longer are known as children of wrath. We are no longer spiritually dead. We are alive. Something changed. Something happened to us. A person that is spiritually dead is, is comfortable in that state. They don't, there's nothing in them to change. They have no need to change, nor can they change. But once our spirit is made alive, uh, you have to leave that life behind. Dead people who are made alive don't stay in coffins, right? They don't stay spiritually dead. They don't return to the spiritually dead state. They leave the coffin behind and live. So before we move on to the next point, we have to understand how dead we were. Spiritually speaking, we were unable to believe. We are unable to trust. We are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to come to God. Someone other than us had to awaken us from the dead, and that's what God has done for us. So that's the good news, is that in point number two, that we are alive, or you are alive. In verses four through five, you can see on the screen there, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. These two powerful words, but God, right, changes everything. We all have those but God stories. Uh, I had no money in my bank account, but God. Uh, my, my spouse left me, but God. My child was sick, but God. I lost my job, but God. I didn't know what to do, but God. But God always uh, is our good words to hear, correct? God never does anything wrong, right? He's always for us. But in our verses today, he's the source of our, our life change. He brought us out of spiritual deadness and made us alive. And it's one thing to be alive, and we should be very thankful for that. But when we understand the depths of our deadness and our own ability to make ourselves alive, it brings a fresh perspective to what has actually happened to us. And I think Paul began this section of verses in Ephesians 2 with this in mind. He reminded us how bad our situation was so that uh, he would highlight how good our situation is now. John Piper, if you guys know John Piper, says this, if you don't know that you were dead, you will not know the fullness of the love of God. You will never experience the fullness of the greatness of God's love for you if you don't see his love in relation to your former deadness. So there's a connection between our spiritual deadness and being alive, just like there's a connection between a cancer patient who's given six months to live and then they find a cure that saves them. When you're pushed to the brink, when you are utterly hopeless and in a desperate place and then something changes, you have a new appreciation that goes far beyond normal comprehension. The same goes for us when we truly understand or take an honest look at how bad we actually were when we comprehend the depths of our rebellion and failures, our trespasses and sins, then we can move forward in this new life and be humble, grateful, thankful, and ultimately worshipful. And this same love, kind of like what we sang about, I think in the second to last song there, Build My Life, that that love should, should propel us out to be bold proclaimers of God's word. And I know that some of you in this room today may be thinking that you're not that bad. 
I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never lied. My sin doesn't hurt anybody else but me. But please don't, don't believe those lies, right? Your heart is wicked. It's, it's evil. In Genesis, it says that every intention of your thoughts, of your heart, is only evil continually. That's the heart condition of those who remain in this state of spiritual deadness. So don't stay there. Ask God to change your heart. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You'll be saved from spiritual death. But understanding this bad news is what makes the good news that much sweeter. So as we continue on, let's remember that God is the ultimate source of our life. He's the one who takes us from the wretched place of death and um, darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is why does he do this? Why does he take us from deadness into life? So our third point this morning is, is you are greatly loved by God. So we're in those same verses, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. And in these verses that we just read, we see this beautiful phrase, because of the great love, right? Because of the great love. This is the only time in Paul's letters, all the letters that he wrote, this is the only time that he uses this phrase, because of the great love. And for those of you in the room today that were dead and are now alive, then you are, in fact, greatly loved by God. There's no better news in all the world than this, that the God of the universe loves you. You can let that sink in. What more could you possibly want? What more could you possibly need today? And if we could just hold on to this truth that we are greatly loved by God, then we wouldn't keep running to our sins, right? We wouldn't need to keep trespassing the boundaries of God. We wouldn't need to keep pushing the limits of what God allows and doesn't allow. We wouldn't uh, need to keep sinning and living in that state. But um, we need to run to the embrace and the loving arms of our Father. Unfortunately, we don't always hold on to this truth that we are truly and greatly loved by God. I'll get a little... Uh, vulnerable with you this morning. My parents divorced when I was two. Uh, my dad left my mom and I. Uh, my mom later, who she's a great woman, she married another man, uh, but he turned out to be not a very great man either, and they divorced when I was 17. And my relationship with both of those men was very bad. I, um, I don't have a relationship with them today. I tried, but I just couldn't do it. Um, but all of that to say, I've never known the great love of a father, right? I've never known the open arms of an unconditionally, or of the, uh, I've never known the loving arms of a man who unconditionally loved me. And there may be some of you in here who feel the same way, but while we may never experience the, the great love of an earthly father, we can't let that hinder our view or our relationship with our heavenly Father, who loves us despite all of our sins and failures. When I read these verses that talk about because of the great love of the Father, or other verses in the Bible that talk about uh, the love of the Father, it can be difficult for me to grasp it or understand it, because I don't, or, sorry, but it doesn't change the great love that the Father has for me. Uh, you could ask my wife what my favorite uh, Christian hymn is, and she would probably roll her eyes because I say it so much, but 
It is how deep the Father's love for us. And every time I hear it or think about it, I'm reminded of how much the Father loves me. Listen to these words. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The Father loved me so much that he sent his only Son to die in my place. He suffered, the Father suffered the loss of his only Son so that he could gain me and so that he could gain you. He made us his treasure. And what kind of love is that? That's, that's the love of God, and we're so unworthy of it, yet it is ours. We give God absolutely no reason to love us, yet in the greatness of his love and in the richness of his mercy, he loves us. That should, that should carry us in every situation. If we could just hold on to this, uh, we would be able to just face every situation in life. We would be able to, to go into every conversation with our lost family members and friends and tell them, about who God is and what he's done. We wouldn't be overtaken by sin if we knew and reminded ourselves that God loved me no matter what. So let's do whatever we can to remind ourselves that we are loved by God in every circumstance. And I know it's, it's very difficult to wrap our minds around this, but it's true. We are loved by God. Our fourth point this morning is that God is at work in our past, our present, and our future. So let's read these verses, verses 5 through 7. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We've already talked about God being the source of our life change, but I want to take a minute and remind you that God is always at work around you and in you. In these verses, we see the work of God in our past, the bringing us from death to life. We've talked about that. But in the present, in the here and now, we see God at work in raising us up with Christ and seating us with him. But the key phrase there is in Christ. Paul uses this phrase 11 times in Ephesians 1 and two times in Ephesians 2, so it has to be important. Basically, after Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension to heaven, God the Father seated the Son, Jesus Christ, at his right hand, and he is seating there or sitting there today waiting for his return to get his people. But because we have believed in Christ, and because Christ is seating, sit, I don't know why I keep saying seating, sitting, sitting in heaven, Christ is saving us a seat with him in heaven. So by being in Christ, we receive everything that Christ receives from the Father. Ephesians 1 says that we were blessed in Christ with all the spiritual blessings right now. We've been chosen in Christ, 
In Christ we have redemption through his blood. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. But the blessings don't stop there. In verse 7 we see, or we read, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you really, do you really believe this? Do you really believe that the God who is rich in mercy and full of love will show you immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to those who are believers in Jesus. It's a big statement, and we should understand it like this. We will never see the end of God's grace and his goodness. It will continue to be shown to us forever and ever and ever and ever. It will never end. And I know it can be difficult to fathom this because the prince of this world continues to tempt us, to beat us down, to entice us, and we still live in our flesh. But one day it will all come to an end. There will be no more trespassing of God's law. There will be no more missing the standard of God and sinning. It will just be God and his grace and those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our hope. That's our eternal destiny. And those who are in Christ Jesus have this hope, to be with God forever. That should carry us as we go out of this place today. All right, our fifth and final point this morning is that you are saved for a purpose. Let's read these last three verses from our chapter this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Maybe you've memorized them. So I won't belabor them. You know these verses. You know that we're not saved by our actions. No amount of good works will ever be enough to save us. Our debt is massive, right? We won't be able to, to pay it off or pay it back. But we also know that there is an element of faith on our part, right? God calls us to, to believe in him or trust in him to believe in the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, to confess that he is Lord and Savior. But the main element of our salvation is God's grace, which we receive as a gift from him. And this keeps us humble. It keeps us from boasting. It keeps us from saying things like, come to me or look what I did, right? God is the Savior, and we're the benefactor of it. But he saves us for a purpose. We've been reminded this morning that we were dead, we're now alive, we are greatly loved by God, and that God is at work in our past, present, and future. And at the beginning of the message, I talked to you about this event that happened in Turkey and Syria that claimed the lives of 53,000 plus people. And it's safe to say that almost all of them died without any hope in Jesus. If only believers would have gone to them and shared the gospel with them. If only God would have given them more time. If only, if only, if only. I'm sure that some of them during their life had heard the gospel, but rejected it. I'm sure that some of them had access to a Bible, but chose 
not to read it. I'm sure that some of them had uh, friends who were believers but chose not to listen to them. And I'm not going to question God's working in their life because we know that God works out all things for his good purpose and plan. But we, or us in this room today, we have been created for a purpose. We've been created for good works so that we may walk in them. The Bible also says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Our actions, whether feeding the hungry, helping the homeless, tending to the sick, loving our kids well, loving our spouse well, speaking correctly with one another, not only glorifies God, but it points the loss to him. But we've also been given a task, go and make disciples of all nations. We have an incredible message of hope and love. Will we keep that message to ourselves today, or will we share it with a lost and dying world around us? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what will happen when we leave this place, or when we go to sleep tonight, like our brother Hakan and his wife. We don't even know yeah, what the future holds, right? Remember all those people in Turkey and Syria who thought that they would wake up Monday morning and start the week, but that did not happen. Were they ready to meet Jesus? Unfortunately, they were not. So my encouragement to you today as we close is to remind you of these truths from Ephesians 2, that we were dead, but we're now alive. We are greatly loved by God, that God is at work in our past, present, and future, and we are created for a purpose. Take these truths and share them with your family, your friends, yourselves, and see how God works in your life, in their lives. And may God bless you as you share that with others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we could gather together here at IBCD. Lord, I thank you that uh, we have your word, that we can read it, that we can open it together and encourage one another in it. Lord, I thank you for these truths of Ephesians 2, that you've taken us from a place of, of spiritual deadness and brought us to life. And uh, we thank you that you greatly love us. Help us to hold on to this truth. Help us to remind ourselves of it so that we uh, share that message with others, so that we don't falter into sin. Help us to be reminded of your goodness, your greatness, uh, who you are and what you have done for us in sending your son to die on the cross and come back to life for us. Thank you that you're at work all around us. Help us to see the people that you're working in. Help us to have the boldness to share with them because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Help us to be bold proclaimers of the gospel in our workplace, in our family, in our communities. Lord, you bring, you're bringing people to us. Help us to be bold to share with them. Thank you for your word again. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. And give you the praise and glory for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.